Hello, I'm Elizabeth Barker, and I am your host for another discussion on dream identifiers. You might remember my episode from last March about ISNI, the International Standard Name Identifier, which has the potential to revolutionize the way we keep track of copyright and creative works, and could be easily adopted into the current framework of the industry. Yet no one is using it. Uh, so why another installment on identifiers that aren't being widely used? Because talking about identifiers is an outlet for my love of organization that does not come into complete conflict with my dispassion for cleaning. So this month's topic has been around for nearly a century, though not quite in its current form, but it has yet to make a lasting impression on the book industry, though other industries have seen its value. And of course, I'm talking about the RFID, and because I'm talking about RFIDs, I portray persuaded, there we go, that's a word, Tom Murchison, BookNet Canada's bibliographic manager, to join me in this month's episode. Whether you know it or not, you've seen RFIDs at work. Your work, most likely. Um, Fobs and ID cards are both examples of functioning RFID technology, and you can expand this to leisure activities, and I use this in the loosest definition of the word, like running marathons uh, to keep track of runners' times. Usually it's in the bit. Uh, in the medical industry, RFIDs can be used to keep track of supplies or even if an employee has washed their hands. And I mean, like, you could actually get around this by, like, waving your wristband in front of the faucet, I guess, and then like, with the water running. But I don't know why anyone would want to do that. Just just wash your hands. Like, you shouldn't have to be tracked. Just wash your hands. Um, anyway, again, it's not a perfect technology, but it's found uses across industries, including the book industry. And if you've ever tried to steal a library book, and you, if you have, for shame, do not do that. Uh, RFIDs are sometimes embedded in the spine and give off a signal if a book is being booknapped. You'll also see it applied in warehouses in order to keep track of stock. This is because it identifies unique data, which means you can track individual items amongst the bulk. If it had different applications in the 40s, uh, that crate in the final scenes of Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark would have actually had a tag on it, and I like to think that would have led to a much better sequel. <laughs> um, but arguably the first applied use of RFIDs came in 1930s Britain. Known as IFF back in the day, literally identify friend or foe, which is the best name for an identifier of all time. British airplanes were equipped with a device that received and transmitted back signals obtained from radar stations when they came within range. This would alert those on the ground whether a plane was a friend or a foe. And uses for radio frequency communications then began to emerge from labs around the world, uh, from the United States all the way to Japan, throughout the 50s and 60s. Uh, this was quickly followed by companies harnessing the technology for commercial use, such as anti-theft systems. Around the 70s, patents began popping up for both active systems, where a transponder relays a new signal when awoken, thus needing an energy source, and passive systems, where a transponder reflects a received signal. Many of these focused on uses in the car industry, and the U.S. government was even involved, although they focused more on trucks, and that was for transporting and tracking nuclear items. Yeah. That helps me sleep at night. Um, they all followed the same basic structure and used the following two elements, a tag, or transponder, interchangeable semantics, uh, that can receive a signal and emit, in the case of active systems, using an antenna, and a reader that can pick up the radio frequency and transform it into a readable, interpretable data. The system type and level of frequency determines effective use, and we'll quickly go over some of the differences in a moment, but please bear in mind that this is a fairly brief overview of a multifaceted identifier, and if you're interested, you should visit some of the sources that we've listed in the episode notes. Okay, so there are three frequency types, low, high, and ultra-high. Sometime in the 70s, low-frequency RFIDs began being used in the agriculture industry as a way to keep track of whether or not cows had been medicated. Animal tracking and identification is still the main use of low-frequency RFIDs to this day. 
primarily because low-frequency tags, usually in the range of about 125 kilohertz to 134, can penetrate thin metallic materials and aren't impeded by high water content. Though they have long wavelengths, they have short ranges and need to remain relatively close to the reader. If we were to quantify RFIDs with levels of magic powers, I think we should. Uh, Low-frequency low RFIDs would be Sabrina the Teenage Witch style of magic, and I'm talking like 90s Sabrina here, uh, where you kind of swish and point. You would need eyes on it, but you could do some pretty neat things in the surrounding area, like unlock your car, identify human and animals, keep track of items on the sale floor, etc. Of course, you can go to the next level, which is high-frequency RFIDs, operating about 1.75 megahertz to about 13.56, uh, these are what you'd find if you tried to commit the heinous crime of stealing library books. So again, do not do this! Um, they're not as waterproof as their low-frequency counterparts, but the range increases to make up for it, which is about a meter. These are commonly used for transit tickets and general data transfers. So I guess if we were to talk about magical styles, it would be more bewitched method, uh, method of magical management. Swish of the nose from the kitchen, and Gladys witnesses something strange on the Stevens front lawn. Then we come to the ultra-high frequencies, which would seem better in every capacity except they're highly susceptible to electromagnetic interference from water, metals, basically everything the other tags can work around. However, these are the tags used in warehouses as they can read multiple items at once and have a much larger range, so like up to 50 feet. They can also read things faster, so they're often selected for processes that higher frequency tags could do, but these would just do it better if you were to measure it in time. And here we're getting into like the three witches in Macbeth territory who just seem to know what is, was, and will be all at once. Ultra high frequencies operate at about 433 megahertz to about 860, 960, um, which seems like a lot of radiation to be around, but there's one key factor to this. Radio frequency radiation is not what you think. Like yes, it's radiation, but it's not it's actually non-ionizing radiation, which means that it's not radioactive. There's no possibility of turning into the Hulk. But of course, that's not to deter anyone from researching further if using RFIDs is of interest. I've only touched on its applications for the book industry, and that's because I wanted Tom Richardson, my colleague and knowledge machine, to weigh in on why this identifier, with all of its history and potential, hasn't been able to extend its waves into the publishing industry. Thank you. I have some questions for you. What are your initial thoughts on RFIDs? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the ability to identify a book as a book uh, is kind of a fundamental business problem. I mean, for warehousing, retail, retail, libraries. So tracking inventory is important. And if you add in credit cards and loyalty cards, phones and so on, identification at a distance you can add tracking of people into this as another type of inventory. Arguably, radio frequency tags can be a useful tool on this. I mean, the only actual application I know of is Amazon seems to be experimenting with all of this in their Amazon Go stores, where in addition to cameras and machine learning, some type of radio frequency tagging is being employed. So I guess if you'd like to buy produce encased in pre-weighed plastic containers, along with other packaged goods without any human contact with a store representative, this is a good thing. But I, fundamentally, I think it's tagging is a good solution for big things like big warehouses, big retail, and big data. And publishing with its bespoke product, where for even large multinationals, the individual products sell in comparatively small numbers, 
the use case is pretty limited. Uh, services around publishing, distribution and retail, probably can find it useful. And of course, libraries were early adopters of it. I can remember adding security strips to books and magazines in the early 80s. Whoa. Tell me about the 8 no, okay. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, it makes sense because for a library, you have to return the product, right? Like that book is only out for a short period of time, so there's be constant use. But when you're buying a book, theoretically, you're taking it home. So outside of a warehouse, there's not really much need, right? Well, unless you were embedding information into the radio frequency tag and the consumer could use it, but they can't. <gasps> Do you mean like, you know how when you're in a parking lot and you lose your car and then you take like the fob and then it goes boop, boop, and you're like, oh, I parked in the itchy lot. So could we do that for books where they just all of a sudden like light up and burst open to the page you left off on? You could in theory, yeah. but I, I mean, that would require probably people to at least have an app on their phone that would allow them to interact with your product. <laughs> now, how many people are going to install an app on their phone to allow them to interact with your radio frequency tags? You'd have to have something very impressive on the other side of that tag. I don't know. A book bursting open with the, it would be kind of amazing that is the bookmark of the future <laughs> I, okay i honestly i cannot see a, an actual application i don't know how much i i know that radio frequency tags can contain a lot more information than say just an isbn but if that really can do anything i mean it's it's just a it just you know reflects some data back to its point of yeah, so anyway. Well, this, this is the problem. I've done all this research. I've, I've read up on RFIDs. I think they're neat in themselves, but within the book industry, I'm very hard-pressed to find any sort of need with physical books outside of the initial stock, uh, keeping track of stock. I mean, for even e-books, I, I don't really see. I mean, I guess that there's something on the, the tablet, but I, I, everyone uses a different device. You can't say with any certainty that everyone's going to use their phone, and nor would they want their uh, reading device necessarily tracked. I mean, I, maybe you do. I don't want to assume for you, but I certainly don't want more tracking. But okay, but okay, uh, okay. Now, I, again, I don't really know enough about radio frequency tags to know a hundred percent this for sure. But um, and I'm sure that one could be set up to reflect a phone because if you know you can set it up to that Presto can, surely somebody else can do that too, I, I, one way or another. But what would it be getting back and how it would be useful to the consumer? I mean, no, exactly. It wouldn't be. This is this is the point. It's it's so neat, but it's also limiting because I again, like you don't need to. I think the problem with RFIDs is we're so immersed in the sort of tracking mentality that it's used to keep track of to find something that we don't we can't really think outside the box and nor do we need to. I just I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm, I, I don't think it would be appropriate an appropriate use of radio frequency tags as far as I know. Um, Agreed. So, I, okay. And the real reason I would think that more than anything else is I have yet to meet <clears throat> a publisher who is willing to spend the time and effort to put something very complex into the metadata for a very specific purpose. And I do not see a use case that would make a publisher... Uh, spend that time here. So, I mean, outside of not coming up with ideas <laughs> for them, but do you think cost of these are an issue? Because you do have to buy in bulk. There is an economy of scale. Do you think that one of the reasons that it wasn't adopted outside of the ISBN is that there is a cost associated? Well, more so than the ISBN. 
Yeah, well, it's been okay. I mean, too. radio frequency tags need to. I mean, the the minimum is stock arrives. The tag has to be added unless it was added in the manufacturer, which is always possible. Mm -hmm. um, data has to be embedded in it. Uh, in order for it to be meaningful. That could be as, you know, a relatively simple process, or it could be complicated, I don't know. I suspect it would be relatively simply done. Mm -hmm. And then at a later stage, there has to be some benefit for it being there. So if you're talking in a warehouse, you know, tagging gets added, you know where the stock is because of that. Mm -hmm. Later, the stock is moved around. You know it got moved because it's recorded, you know, like, in effect, relatively remotely. Yes. You, you can always find the object and the object will be tracked throughout its time in your, in your warehouse. That's a use case, that makes sense. In a retail store, similarly, you could stick a product in at one end and then when it comes to checkout or, or quick inventory or a variety of things, there could be an increase of time. I mean, if you're using scanners, you would have to pick the book up, flip it over, scan the book. With a radio frequency tag, you would walk past and perhaps with a you know, wave, a, a scanner at something, and it, it would be enough to do things. There would be a difference of, what, a second and a half between the two events, and if enough volumes required, you could save money. I don't know of many bookstores that need that savings. I don't know of many warehouses. I know warehouses, I think the use case is probably better, but I don't really... You know, Scanning does it all. Yeah, and that's true. I mean, I guess if you look at something like Amazon's warehouse, which is the size of a small country most of the time, uh, losing track, even with scanners, is something that probably needs to be addressed. But in terms of your average bookstore, like brick and mortar size, I don't see much use of... I well, know. I don't know. We should be talking about hot technology, that QR codes. <laughs> I we have we have credible information that within uh, uh, the Asian market QR codes are super hot right now and well, always. Well, I, I, again, I mean, I, I, okay, what is the difference between radio frequency tag and a QR code? I mean, it's it's halfway between a barcode scan mm -hmm. and, a, and a radio frequency tag. Yes. And the difference between them would be is you can embed more information in a QR code or direct link link directly to the interweb. Well, I always thought of it more as a QR code will lead you to something digitally, whereas an RFID will actually lead you to something in the physical world. Eh? Yeah, I don't know what the difference would be. Oh, that's, that's how I understood it. Well, I mean, I, I always <laughs> just understood it as a radio frequency tag is sitting there embedded in an object doing nothing until somebody sends a radio frequency to it, whereupon it reflects back information. Well, it's a What active. that information is... One too. So, is, yeah. what, what read the difference in information yeah. being reflected back from what you might get from a QR code? Well, I mean, a, 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 the reflection is a passive. There's also active RFIDs where they create a whole new signal and they send that out. So, I mean... Okay, then you have to have your, 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 your book attached to a battery. Okay, so I thought, okay, my next question actually had to do with Big Sky Ideas, and I kind of thought of a couple recently, um, and it has to do with libraries, because libraries are wonderful things, and I always talk about them. Uh, but I was thinking about it, and there's this article in the States right now uh, circulating about someone hiding all of the books about, um, uh, basically it was like gun uh, rights and things like that, or uh, like gun legislature for, I can't remember exactly. Basically, there are books that are inconsistent with far-right ideologies. But aside from political uh, 
issues, hiding books or books ending up in the wrong spot. If we had RFIDs that didn't just track the book when it exited the library, but where it actually was on the shelf, it could maybe make a library staffer's life a lot easier because they wouldn't have to, and even uh, lead patrons to books automatically. Would that not be kind of a fun use of these things? Or would you think it'd be too big data, too can, like big brother-ish? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Okay, looking at the second use case, binding books. Well, okay, you're in the middle of a library surrounded by a pile of passive or not passive RFID tags. Um, with your scanner, I'm not sure if that's a use case that could possibly work. I mean, how would it... I mean, I, I guess when you got to the right book, right area, the, the scanner might recognize that and, and let you know. Uh, and that might speed things up. Well, it's more like every book would have an individual signal, as you would see in a warehouse. Um, and so if it was misshelved, you would be able to identify where it is. Well, okay, and that, but in, okay, in that case... In that case, that, that seems more, more useful. I mean, there someone could like literally walk along with a scanner along the shelf, and a book that was out of sequence might well, because the, you know, the coding should all be in sequence. Well, yeah. from my time in libraries, having shelved books in the 80s, yeah. you know, I can tell you that most shelves are not particularly in close order. They're approximately right. Mm -hmm. Now, you could be, it could be a case of overkill, you know, where you're finding books that are out of sequence by one and then the staff has to take time to arrange them perfectly. <coughs> I mean, that would be really good, I guess, in its way, but... <laughs> so you, you know, mean it would actually increase work as opposed to make life easier? That would be my guess. Okay. Okay, here's my other one. Here's my other one. So this is kind of like a Goodreads model. So Also, did what? you know people have eyes? <laughs> and as you go along... You can see the barcode on the bottom of the book to put there for that purpose, right? And somebody can see it's out of order. Just saying. I mean, again, I don't, I don't see, I don't see it as a, as a persuasive use case, <laughs> except for in the sense, like in a very large library. Okay, but if you're like in an academic, like a, a university library, and you're like, I have to find this book for class, and then it's been misshelved, and you're like, oh no, I'm on floor four, and I have to go up. It's been, it's hiding on floor six. Eh, maybe. Like okay, that, yeah, okay, that would require an active, an active tag to do that, and then you kind of got to wonder how does okay, you would have what a hundred thousand books, maybe more, mm -hmm. and then each one has an individual tag on it, mm -hmm. and somehow or another, the 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 there's some sort of tracking system that knows where this tag is. Yes. Okay, that's a big data solution, mm -hmm. um, and don't don't start tag. putting chips into babies. That's all I can say. <laughs> I've not heard that one before, and I'm never using it. Um, okay, here's my other one: Goodreads model. So similarly to you know using a uh, site to sort of track what you've read, what if you had a library card that kept track of the books that you've read, um, so that if you went to go check it out again, it's like you would be told that you've already read this because some of us lose track in the series that we're reading. Um, I'm just wondering if RFIDs could help us with this problem. Again, big sky ideas. Not sure if it would actually work. Okay. Um, checkout? Have you heard of Checkout? I have, but Checkout doesn't tell me all the time about my history <laughs> immediately. <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean that, that could be incorporated into Checkout. You know, yeah. you, know you, you could be told at that time 
if anyone thought it was important. I mean, someone would have to like set up to do this. It would take a fair amount of effort yeah. to, to, okay, to create this as a thing. I think it would be easier to do a checkout. I mean, you check the book out and they tell you, you know, you had this two months ago. Would you like to read it again? I mean, are you intentionally taking it out yeah. again? I mean, and, and you would have to go, yes, <laughs> I didn't finish reading it. I had it for six weeks and I didn't read it. You'd have to like admit to like, you know, your, your scholarly incompetence. Yeah. But I, I, I can't see why. Okay, you, you would, if you did it at checkout, someone could embarrass you potentially, but that would assume you're getting like human contact. Yes. And, you know, you can just scan the book out yourself at most That's libraries now. And, and and you can use radio frequency tags for the same purpose. I mean, Toronto Public Library, you put it down on a thing that reads the, the code mm-hmm. inside the book instead of like the, you know, the barcode on the book. Mm-hmm. But so I, mean, I don't see much difference at that point. It's true. It's because the secret is they're all in the spines. But I'm okay. The, the, the reason I don't think any of these ideas can work for consumers is, is you would have to have some sort of like device that was capable of interacting with the frank the tags mm-hmm. either by sending it and we live in a capitalist market where there is not a controlled e- economy which means that we can't all be using the same radio frequency tags so i might have a tracker that works in x y and z but not n y and h so what point well what i mean like what advantage does it give it to me you now? would not be checking out books it, Vancouver Public Library if you live in Toronto. So, I mean, it would be very, like, ecosystem-centric. No? The UT would give me a phone when I when I joined, and it would be able to read the, the yeah, library. Yeah. Just It would be a burner phone of just scans. <laughs> I, I, I'm just not seeing this. I just do not see this. I just, I, I just feel the need to, like, stand up for the RFID because it is need. I just, I, I can't think of a general solution to the publishing industry either and i feel bad okay well i wasn't going to use this particular line but i think tracking hand carts en route to hell might be aided by radio frequency tagging okay this is the perfect time for this big sky idea of mine um I, okay the, the, the most interesting thing I, to my mind about radio frequency tags yeah. are is they are a useless idea from a decade ago that didn't get adopted, got a big play, and we have had a series of things that have come since then that you know require us to think about them. There were QR codes that we stuck on books for a little while and put on our, our, our things and discovered that you know people had to whip out their phone and find the right app and then wave it the right way in order to get to a thing that they could gotten to quicker by just going to the, going to Chrome and putting in the book title and the publisher. I mean, as a you know, dark secret, I find them very aesthetically displeased, displeasing, and I feel bad about that. But well, book designers would agree with you, okay. yes, but they don't like the barcode either, and they're yeah, wrong about them. Yeah, that's true. It's like illegal but not to put a barcode on. The uh, So so you, we come up with these, we, we get sidetracked by these big ideas. I mean, most publishers are too busy trying to get the book out in order to even put the metadata together decently. That is very true. And the reason why blockchain, spoiler alert, why will blockchain not work? It's because the metadata that underlie, that the publishers maintain to underlie blockchain will never be of sufficient quality to allow a transactional embedding of information the way that blockchain would require. I mean, 
we will just never have that level of detail. Now, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Just use Thema. That's all I ask. It's a simpler task than setting up RFID tags or other things. Just, just go out, use Thema. It's genuinely useful. I mean, I'm not going to fight you on that. I completely agree. It just doesn't look as cool as waving something in the air and it magically beeping. Have you heard of have you heard of this thing called ebooks? Yes. I can just just be on my phone and uh -huh. go to a library yes. or a retail site uh -huh. and put the book on my phone. That is true. I don't need to wave anything. I mean, you could wave your phone around. That's still kind of, I guess, the same thing. But like nothing is responds. Is that magic enough? No. Wouldn't it be even more magical if that ebook came with theme coding, though? Wouldn't oh. that oh, yes. add the magic? That No, 100%. That would add the magic. I feel like yeah. that's... That's so, why so it's you, know, with, you know, like ebooks with thema codes in bright letters on on the cover. Okay, what if we had vending machines that just took your library card and you wove the library, wave the library card around, and then a book like burst forth from this vending machine? Uh, I believe that actually has been done. Uh, uh, LPG had a book vending machine at at uh, at the uh, island airport. Okay. And uh, a couple of used book places, I think, have like a, you know, put a buck in and get a random book out type vending machines I've, I've read about. Ooh, that's, that's so scandalous. people are using the vending machine idea. But knowing people at, L, at, at LPG, I can say that one of the issues around that type of thing is stocking the container. Also, renting the container that does these actions for you is reasonably expensive and and then stocking it can be fairly difficult. I mean, it's a time-consuming thing. Okay, this is why the news group and other companies exist in order to fulfill this type of like function. It's, it's that that's a whole industry in itself. But I'm just saying, is you know, like large machines mm -hmm. full of things mm -hmm. like drinks and stuff like this require little men and women, people, people, just people in funny uniforms going around in large trucks, <laughs> stocking them. You know, hopefully electric trucks. Can I just say? Yeah, let's let's try and keep the emissions but, down. Um, fully agree, and also a little guilt trip here. I mean, so much effort goes into this. We should use book vending machines. Just saying. <laughs> but no, you have a very good point, and that is, yes, these things exist. No RFIDs are not really becoming our best uh, thing. So, I mean, even even we can't even talk about them without becoming ridiculous in terms of the stupidity of the ideas around <laughs> it's us. It's kind of true. It's kind of so true. I, I would never kind of professionally put these forth. Um, but I do think that publishers can support libraries more without adopting RFIDs, and that's just like you said, using Thema, using your metadata, telling stories in organizational ways so people know how to sell and communicate your book. And library wholesalers really should continue to offer services like adding the correct tags for their libraries in the books and saving librarians time. I mean, it's not like they don't have a use. It's just... Yeah. And I mean, it also, I just, I feel too that publishers should be communicating more with librarians uh, in terms of what tags, like they're recataloging uh, a lot of books right now. They're coming up with their own... Uh, Categories. I mean, Thema is so specific, and I just wonder if we actually had publishers adopt Thema, if library staff wouldn't have to take that extra time to make it work for their systems. I don't think the librarians are ever going to believe what a publisher tells them in 100%. That hurts. Um, it does hurt, but... Why can't we all be friends? 
Well, then you should not be so critical of how publishers use audience codes. Okay, let's not ask for miracles here. There is no reading age, zero to eight. <laughs> that is not a thing, Tom. There is no, agreed, I'm just saying. <laughs> I wrote a whole blog post on it. Trusting publishers to do things properly is one of the reasons why blockchain will not work, going back to my original. But it's also just, why radio frequency tags would not have a good use case if publishers were in charge of it. It's, it's one more finicky addition to their lives hmm. that fulfills what? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, Tom. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Thanks to Tom for speaking with me for this month's episode. You can find all the links to the source material in the episode notes. I'd also like to take a moment to acknowledge the BookNet Canada staff, board, partners, and our makeshift podcast studio. We operate upon the traditional territories of the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation, the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, Wendat, and Huron Indigenous peoples, the original nations of this land. We endorse the calls of action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada and support an ongoing shift from gatekeeping to space making in the book industry. And we hope that our work, including this podcast, helped to create an environment that supports that shift. We'd also like to acknowledge the Government of Canada for their financial support to the Canada Book Fund. And of course, thank you for listening. Do not steal library books!